0: Welcome, everyone, to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, May 3rd. Let's see. We start things off with a look at the record number of COVID cases from over the weekend. Boy, the impact they're having on our hospitals across the province are getting close to being overwhelming. So we get the latest on the upswing and the anti-restriction rallies held over the weekend as well. We check in with Global Calgary reporter Sarah Offen for all the details.
1: Next is our weekly chat with uh, Dr. Ted Jablonski. We call him Dr. J around these parts, our on-call family physician. He explains the criteria for vaccinations in this phase 2B because the vaccines they're rolling out, but do you, you know exactly who's included? Well, vaccines in 2B include kids as young as 12 with underlying health conditions. So we'll break down all that criteria ahead.
0: Really important thing to talk about. That is Mental Health Week. And that's what it is right across Canada. Well, today we kick things off with a focus on men's mental health. We check in with Kelly Rudy. Yeah, you know him, former NHLer, hockey commentator, and mental health advocate. And he tells us his own very personal story. Also, it is
1: Motivational Monday here on Mornings with Sue and Andy. you are going to delve into the topic of serendipity. It's very interesting We'll catch up with author Neil Farber and hear how Dr. Farber believes spotting and actually taking advantage of, for your advantage, serendipitous events in our lives can actually be taught.
0: Alberta saw a record number of COVID cases over the weekend, but how will these climbing case counts affect our hospitals? And are more restrictions and better messaging from the government needed to help curb the upswing? Global news reporter Sarah often joins us now with more. Hi, Sarah. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Let's talk about the numbers. Very, very high through the weekend. Yesterday we saw a little bit of a a decrease, but boy, uh, they certainly are getting the, uh, the, the, the notice of people in the medical profession, aren't they?
2: Absolutely, and and that positivity rate is is the other thing. It's up over ten percent, and so, you know, a lot of um, health uh, health officials and and experts also suggesting that this may indicate that maybe some people aren't getting tested, and so those numbers that we're looking at could really be even higher with with undiagnosed cases in the community. And so, of course, this raises a lot of questions in terms of how is this going to affect everything, in our hospitals, and and where are we at right now? And so. Basically, what we're hearing um, from doctors is that we are not yet at a breaking point, but in the next couple of weeks, uh, things could be getting pretty dire here in Alberta, and that messaging that we've also heard, I should say, from Alberta's premier also suggesting that uh, over the next month, if we don't bend this curve, that we could see our health system becoming overwhelmed. Of course, we saw talks last week of of triage and and protocols to decide, you know, basically who lives or dies if uh, our critical care um, becomes overextended. And so these are are pretty scary situations and a pretty scary situation uh, right now here in Alberta.
1: Yeah, Jason Kenny came out to uh, some stern comments on social media about the uh, no lockdown rodeo. Uh, but again, just comments at this point. It seems like he's still uh, trumpeting compliance as his number one uh, measure. Uh, but at some point, you have to think that the premier would look at, you know, the curfews or the extreme restrictions compared to what we have.
2: That's right. And, you know, it is interesting because this is uh, this rodeo coming just days after we had um, Premier Kenney promising to get tougher on those that were flouting public health restrictions. Mm-hmm. Now, we do know that Alberta Health Services says that it is considering some legal options against those uh, event organizers. But right now, uh, health care officials telling us that they feel like it's a lot of talk. I mean, our restrictions right now are still less than what they were um, uh, you know, at, at, at the height of, of either of the, the first or second wave. So, so people not only asking to see more restrictions, but also really asking the province to look at their messaging around this. Because sometimes when we hear people, you know, you hear about this rally and people get angry. Well, you know, for some, that really just makes them more entrenched in, in their stance. And so um, I thought it was a really good uh, Dr. Saxinger that, that had brought up the idea that they really need to tailor their messaging and look at where it's coming from and maybe getting more firsthand accounts of, of what it's like to have COVID even when you're young or, or losing somebody. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, and, and again, this is something that won't just be affecting people that have COVID. This could potentially be affecting people who get, who get in a car accident on deer foot because our, our healthcare system simply can't deal with the number of people People that are coming into our hospitals. So this is something that, um, you know, whether whether you believe in in the pandemic or not, this is something that is going to be affecting uh, everyone in our province, and something that uh, you know our, our 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 province really needs to, needs to take action on now, whether that comes from uh, you know the Premier's office or from uh, ourselves at home sitting and, and making our own decisions, but um, it's a pretty scary situation right now.
0: It is, and you're right, the messaging has been very poor from the top down, and it's really not kind of getting that, that real, true message out there. And then, speaking of messages, with the uh, the closure of the legislature, the UCP and Jason Kenney deciding to, to close the legislature right now due to the climbing numbers, while restaurant workers, healthcare workers, primary teachers, and retail workers all go to work. Again, not a great message.
2: There's some disparity there, for sure. And, I mean, at the same time, you know, he's threatening a curfew. Um, You know, it's going to be interesting to see exactly what, what happens in the weeks ahead. I think something has to happen. Um, Again, just just where exactly that action is going to come from, it'll be interesting to see, and and hopefully something changes before um, things get very, very dire in our hospitals.
1: I'm sure we'll see, depending on which direction those numbers go over the next few days, for sure. Thank you so much for your time, Sarah. You're welcome. That is global Calgary reporter, Sarah Offen. And, uh, you know, down from 2,400, it was announced uh, on uh, Saturday, which was the Friday numbers yesterday, 17 and change. So it was a drastic change. Is that a one-day blip, or are we going to see the trend upward? Uh, like I was said to Sarah, I mean, I guess we'll only know in mm-hmm. the coming days, right? 7.19 mornings with Sue and Andy. And late last week, it was announced that the province is moving into phase 2B of the vaccine rollout. This phase includes a much younger demographic for those who have underlying health conditions. To break down the details, we are joined by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good Monday morning to you, Dr. Jay.
3: Good morning.
1: This phase really focuses on the younger set uh, when it comes to eligibility for those who have health risks. So can you break down the criteria for us?
3: Yeah, so what the rest of the country is doing, 16 and up, Alberta, as of, I believe, Friday now has gone as low as 12 years old to 16 in kids who have an underlying health condition. Now, the list can be found, you can find it on the AHS websites, but essentially it's any chronic medical problem, which involves heart, kidney, liver, nervous system, respiratory system, any immunosuppression Diabetes, uh, severe obesity, profound learning disability, or um, a severe developmental delay. So this is any kid who, who has been sick, who's seen a lot of medical systems, a lot of docs. Uh, I think most parents would know if their child falls within one of those categories. What's interesting is that Alberta has taken a very aggressive stance here before the country has. Um, it's unfortunately the wording has come in off-label because it's not off-label at all. There's been research in this group. The research looks solid. It's just in review in Canada. So Canada has not given the official okay, even though the research looks very solid. Alberta's jumped in and said, listen, maybe benefits outweigh risk. Let's just forge ahead. It's going to happen in the next few weeks. We'll be ahead of the curve.
0: And again, Dr. J., you know, as you mentioned, anyone, any of these young folks who have any of these issues, their parents, guardians are likely in touch with a physician anyway. So there'll they'll be lots of discussion before that child goes and gets an, an, a vaccination, I'm assuming.
3: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and the other piece is you do not need a doctor's letter, right? Because right? I think this was initial that somehow somebody would have to prove um, that a child this age with a chronic disability would have to have it now. They waived all that, so you can, you know, as a parent, can move uh, move ahead with this very quickly.
0: Uh, hey, I just wanted to ask you, Doctor J. Sorry, on that note, uh, 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 with AstraZeneca still, for example, are there still some criteria for the different vaccinations as to which age groups should take them or shouldn't?
3: Hey, yes. Um, so I, I would make a case if you, in the sort of the simplest terms. The more chronic, um, if you do have medical issues, if you're in a very high risk group, the Pfizer, Moderna vaccines are probably the more uh, efficacious vaccines. If you really don't fall within that, you're just a, a, a normal, healthy person, uh, then it's all by age criteria and still being rolled out in different phases. Um, I have strong opinions about that, but I won't go there. Mm -hmm. But uh, yes, you have to sort of uh, look and see, do you follow uh, or do you follow into the uh, category that's now presented? Are you in the right age group? Are you in the right uh, time? And then uh, book accordingly.
1: There's no health uh, uh, conditions, underlying health conditions, Dr. J., and somebody is eligible. What do you say to those people who say, you know what, I've been offered the AstraZeneca, for example, or the Moderna, but I really want Pfizer or Johnson & Johnson? What do you say to somebody who wants to kind of shop for a vaccine?
3: Right. So what's the maximum? The, the vaccine in the arm is the vaccine that works. I mean, if you don't get the vaccine, you're at risk. And right now, being in Alberta is pretty risky right now with the variants. and the, I mean, our, our numbers are very, very high. Uh, I think if you have access to a vaccine, you get the vaccine and you get protection. All the vaccines work. They prevent serious illness, hospitalization, death. They are all the same for that. The Pfizer, Moderna might be a bit better uh for preventing uh the severity of illness but if you're healthy you're probably going to have a fairly mild illness um or you know that's the expectation now the the variants are nastier right they're hitting a mm-hmm. uh, younger population are a little bit more aggressive hence why yes just get your vaccine get in line get it done and then that helps with herd immunity for all of us
1: thanks for your time this morning we appreciate
3: it hey you betcha
1: is is dr ted jablonski our on-call family physician Today marks the beginning of Mental Health Week and we kick it off focusing on men's mental health. According to a new survey conducted by the charity Movember, 66% of Canadian men believe men's mental health is worse today than it's ever been. While that may seem a little gloomy, another stat from the same survey indicates 82% of men consider mental health a priority. To discuss, we're joined by former NHLer, hockey commentator and mental health advocate Kelly Rudy. Good morning to you, Kelly.
4: Good morning. How are you guys?
1: Good. Thank you so much for taking the time with us. And so some very interesting stats coming out of the Movember survey surrounding the views of Canadian men and mental health. uh, You know, what's your take when you hear some of these numbers fairly large? Is is this a case of it being worse than ever for men's mental health or a case of awareness and openness now surrounding the topic?
4: I think it's a combination of both. I think that uh, it warms my heart to know that uh, men now feel... Comfortable enough sharing uh, with uh, their family members or friends that uh, they're going through something. Uh, I know that uh, I'm in that same situation, and the, the one word that you used, uh, "gloomy," really stood out to me because yes, it, it is. You, you are afraid at times, and uh, it, it's hard to discuss sometimes what you're feeling. But in in the word of "gloomy," in fact, if you turn it around a little bit, it's once you do get help. It's amazing how you feel, and I, and I can speak to that because I'm actually seeing somebody right now for my own health, and uh, I'm proud to say that uh, even at my age, I didn't think at 60 years old that I'd, I'd have to go see somebody, but uh, my thoughts are getting the best of me, and I'm happy to say that I'm doing really, really well, so if you're listening to this this could be you, you could you could don't do it alone. it's too painful. it's too hard, and do yourself a favor and go see somebody,
0: Kelly. I think it's super important that you say that aloud. There are so many people that look up to you that and just need to hear from another man that it is okay to reach out. Do you think that we're we're starting to get beyond finally that boys don't cry mentality and and you know guys don't have emotions and shouldn't share their feelings, kind of thing?
4: I sure hope so. Uh, you know, I uh, I've shared some videos on uh, social media, and uh, I'm pleasantly surprised by how many men share their stories with me. And uh, it's again, I'm going to use that word heartwarming because I love that because it really is something special when uh, somebody sends me a message, whether it's a man or a uh, female, it doesn't matter. But it, it just it feels like it brings us all together. That yeah, I'm not alone. I'm like you. You're like me. We all have these issues uh maybe lurking, maybe we don 't even know, but there's there might be something that triggered it. I know in the summer two thousand and nineteen when my thoughts uh, came back and they were overwhelming and i I knew something was coming i you know I have to tell you because of our daughter Caitlin and how brave she has been uh, over the years, she came out to telling her story in 2013, it made it a whole lot easier for me to share with my family what I was going through.
1: The passion, yes. So you have a personal connection to it. And I'm wondering, because you mentioned you shared a video on social media, and a lot of the times we poo-poo social media, but uh, Mm -hmm. can we we look at it as a a tool that can be used for positive, because people can, A, find the resources, and maybe have a little anonymity when it comes to, to getting the help they need with the online world?
4: Yes, and it's so important you bring that up, because Somebody told me recently that uh, social media really has no value and, you know, be careful and all that. I say on the contrary. You know, I've become so close with so many people because of social media and my messaging about uh, mental health and um, having more good days than bad and just the whole message that uh, here's what I'm going through, I'm not sure what you're doing, what's going on in your life, but... But if you share your story, I can I can guarantee you, you're going to feel better. I, I mean, I went to see the person helping me with my mental health in October, and that first day was the start of a really good run for me, where I really started to have a lot of more good days. And uh, and I kept it up for 10 weeks. I've, uh, I took three weeks off because I thought I was doing well enough, and I wanted to sort of test myself to see where I was. I'm happy to say I'm I'm back seeing the person getting uh, my mental health back in order again. Not that I was off, not that I was off track, and not that I was in a painful place, but I just knew I needed to get to... Uh, a little bit more help again,
0: a refresher course. I like to
4: call yes, it Kelly. It was.
0: <laughs> yes. Hey, you know, obviously we know you from the the sports world, the NHL. It, tough guys, right? It's all about that. Yeah. So, is that changing? Is that getting a little bit better? Are guys in the NHL and in sports overall able to reach out a little more so than back when you were playing?
4: Oh, for sure, and they have the uh, they have the tools now. They have people in place. Every sports organization has people uh, for the players to talk. And in my day. Uh, first of all, we didn't even know about mental health issues, and, and we certainly weren't going to talk about it. I went through uh, something in 1992-93 when I was still playing for L.A., um, and I didn't know what, that it was related to mental health. Now looking back, clearly it was. Uh, I was able to get the help that I needed because a coach of mine, Barry Melrose, recognized that I was in a dark place and I, I needed some help. So luckily for me, I had a coach that was very, very understanding. But for the most part, back then, nobody was talking about it.
1: Kelly, thank you so much for not only sharing your time, but uh, sharing your personal story. We uh, appreciate it on this important topic.
4: Oh, my pleasure. I hope I helped somebody.
1: I'm sure you have. That is uh, Kelly Rudy, former NHLer, hockey commentator, and mental health advocate. What and, a great guy.
0: He really is. I love He's just that guy. accessible and open and honest. And I think, I really do believe when people like that talk about the fact that, hey, it's quite normal to mm-hmm. need a little help once in a while, and there's nothing wrong with reaching out for it. I think it helps everybody, right? Just, mm, mm, it makes it okay for all of us.
1: I love that part talking about, you know, the hockey, quote unquote, tough guys, because that's the world. Remember, he had, I wonder if he kept them. We should have asked Kelly if he kept his headbands. Remember, he'd have the headbands oh, yeah. and hang down in the back. <laughs> Yep, and he had the longish. He was only one in hockey to have a mullet. Um, no, um, he'd have the longer hair. And you think this guy, you know, he's unstoppable between the pipes. And you watch him now talking about hockey, and you think he's a man's man, and mm-hmm. uh, he's got it all. To- Nobody has it all together.
0: No, Kelly's
1: an example of that. And interesting, he just opened up and said, "You know, I'm I'm seeing a professional right now." That that takes a lot. It's something personal that he shared with not only you and I, but with yep. the audience. And it just goes to show with Mental Health Week. And, and uh, again, focusing on men today to kick off Mental Health Week.
0: It has been a, a tough year or so. And if you need help, there is lots available. You don't even have to pay a penny in many cases. So uh, you can go to albertahealthservices.ca that you can access mental health through there. Calgary Counseling Center. There are lots of places you can reach out. So So please do if you need any kind of help at all. In his new book, Serendipity, Utilizing Everyday Unexpected Events to Improve Your Life and Career, Dr. Neil Farber explores the profound role that happy accidents have played in the creation of many of the things that we take for granted, and perhaps how you can take advantage of it as well. Good morning to you, Dr. Farber. Thanks for joining us.
5: Good morning. My pleasure.
0: Thanks for being here. Uh, beyond what I just said, I, I know your focus is really you know, teaching people how to recognize serendipity and then turn it into something meaningful. To start off, can you just define serendipity for us? What are we looking for?
5: Sure. It, it's basically just some minor um, event that, that somebody notices and then um, recognizes it, utilizes it, and, and makes something very fruitful into it. The difference between that and luck is luck just happens, but... With serendipity, you have to actually be involved.
1: So you have to be involved in 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 what way, shape, or form. Because I, I had this outside looking in idea, Doctor Farber, that serendipity just kind of falls on your lap. But you're saying that's not the case.
5: No, not at all. Um, let's say that that uh, you know you you are down and out. You're you're having trouble making ends meet, and suddenly you you get a check in the mail from a long-lost relative for $5,000 to put you over the top. Well, that's luck. You didn't do anything to have that happen. It just fell in your lap, as you put it. Um, but it, but let's say instead you're walking down the street. You happen to see a penny on the, on the ground. You pick it up, and it's a very old penny. And it turns out that after you take it to the coin dealer, because you think maybe this is something worthwhile... The coin dealer says, I'll give you $5,000. That's very different. You've you've been involved. You've done something with it.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So, and I know you've had multiple serendipitous events in your life that have significantly, and in most cases, positively influenced your career and personal life. Can you give us a couple of examples of those?
5: Sure. Um, I guess one of the main ones was, uh, in terms of my career, was... Uh, I've always been an academic uh, internist, so I do research and teaching besides seeing patients. And this one time there was a conference where there was some ethics involved, and I'm, I wasn't really into ethics, but but there was a discussion about how do you decide, you know, if, if there's only, let's say there's uh, two cardiac arrests in a hospital and only one cardiac re- uh, resuscitation team how do you decide who was going to be resuscitated? And it was ongoing discussion for a while, and then one of the residents said, it's a moot discussion because we always decide based on who needs it the most or who's going to survive the best. And I immediately thought, you know, that's not true because we all have biases. Um, There had been a lot of discussion about bias in the literature. And so I decided... I I needed to investigate this and set about doing a a survey of the residents and proved that they had biases when when making those kinds of decisions. And that steered me on an entirely different course that led to maybe over 40 papers Mm. involving different aspects of medical ethics.
1: Incredible. So, so do you think, to a certain extent, some of us have been involved and in, in immersed in a serendipitous event, but just didn't recognize it? Is this something we have to be more cognizant of?
5: I think so. Um, you know, when I talk to other people, <clears throat> they indicated that they had the same experiences. But, but when you think about it, um, you know, we, we know about the ones where somebody recognized it and took advantage of it. We don't know about the ones that got away. Mm-hmm. And and it, it's important not only for the individual, but maybe for society as a whole. So, um, that's ha- That's how Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin. And if he hadn't been cognizant of the event that occurred, we wouldn't have antibiotics.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so if serendipity can help us be more successful, either personally or professionally, ourselves... What, what do we need to do then? Do we just need to be more aware, be more cognizant of everything that's going around on around us? Or h- how can we learn to be better able to recognize it?
5: Right. Well, the first step is to be more cognizant of everything around you. Um, that's, that's something that's really necessary. But the second step is to be able to be more observant, be able to recognize things that are around you, not only in terms of just mindful about what they are, but be able to actually see them or hear them, and then and then become curious of the things around you. Um, why did this happen? Why? How? How did this happen? How is this going on? Um, that leads you into sort of doing some research into it or or examining it, and then making connections with your previous training or experiences or what you or of what you've read.
1: Are some people more? And I know that you focus on, on teaching people and having them. Uncover the skill, Are some people kind of more natural with it. Is this something anybody can learn?
5: I, I think anybody can learn it. Um, I, I think there's some of us who who are taught in that way. Um, you know, as a physician, you're taught to do this. Um, basically, you're you're taught to listen to the patient, um, be be mindful about what they're saying, be observant when you do a physical exam be curious as to, as to what the diagnosis might be and then making connections with your previous training. So we're taught to do this as a physician. Um, I think there are other professions where that happens, for example, in police, um, many attorneys. <clears throat> so I think you're taught that way in, in a lot of professions, and I think anybody can learn it if, if you so desire.
0: I would hope we would all desire, I think, being a little more aware is, is not a bad thing at all for most of us. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate chatting with you. My pleasure. Thank you. That is Dr. Neil Farber, medical doctor, researcher, teacher, and author. His new book is called Serendipity, Utilizing Everyday Unexpected Events to Improve Your Life and Career.
1: This is, a you know, kind of a mini-series, if you, if you will. It was born out of uh, last week where we said, let's, let's talk about motivation mm-hmm. on Mondays. A way to kick off the week, and he's he's super reserved almost Dr. Farber is that you've seen his work before. Yep. You know, he's done, he's done a lot of different things. Was he it the sure secret? Has. Was he, Yeah. He was
0: in the secret, I believe. Yeah. He's everywhere. And he's,
1: he's uh, you know, took the time with us. And this is cool because it doesn't have to be hokey, but to a large extent, if you want to be more practical about it, it's looking at anything in your life and sometimes hardships, sometimes challenges as an opportunity. So I think it's kind of within and saying, oh, you know, this is, a, a shame that I have to, you know, I've got this uh, piece of garbage in my garage that I have to get rid of. It. But, yeah, maybe for example, that's something that is a, an antique you didn't know about, mm-hmm. or you know, you could are they, you know, the penny as Dr. Farber mentioned it doesn't have to be about money either. It could be that job of somebody you sure. just met at, a, uh, you know, through a friend who had a question for you about something you were in professional world, and you had a conversation, and next thing you know, you've got a new job. Yeah,
0: happy accidents, they're everywhere, right? I mean, and can make us more successful maybe happier maybe just change your life that little bit that you need as we go forward it's been a tough goal for so many people over this past year a little serendipity never hurt anyone
1: he wrote the book on it called ah, serendipity he really did. Good one, utilizing Andy. everyday unexpected events to improve your <laughs> life and career and you can find out more at neiljfarber.com